So what does it mean that the Jewish spiritual system called the Torah allows me to meet myself? And we said that it actually can be quite tricky because because the spiritual system is so complex, there are many parts to it, and there's so many perhaps misconceived, people misconceive the apparatus as ritualistic obligations. <coughs> and as a role... As, as a rule, ritualistic obligations s- seem to stifle out the presence of self by requiring you to do this at this point in time and that at that point of time. When you wake up, this is what you should do. When you're about to eat, this is what you should do. To, when you finish eating, this is what you should do. So there's an actual threat to the self by imposing the spiritual system. And what we'd like to, what we'd like to do is we'd like to advocate that instead of the system threatening your sense of self, it will actually illuminate and unveil and uncover the depth of who I am and of who you are. And that's, that, that's huge. That's huge if we can actually apply it and, and, and do it in that way. And so I, I'm going to, one of the things we, we actually drew, drew on in, in, in relation to this idea was um, the recounting of Noah, Noah's Introduction, the way he's introdu- the way he's put into the narrative, into the text of the of the Chumash, the way he's introduced is which means these are Noach's children. Noach, he's his own child, and we express the notion that the ultimate person that we can, the only fundament, the only person that we can fundamentally ever give birth to, is ourself which has so many connotations in relation to the fact that I ac- acknowledge my individuality, I acknowledge my differentiation from others, I acknowledge the particularities of the persona I am, and I recognize that my purpose in life is to move my innate potential, which is specific to me, from a place of hiddenness to a place of being revealed. And that the notion of realizing potential is not creating a person it's revealing a person that's already there which is a spiritual idea the idea is as follows I have an intact greatness represented by my soul which is almost um, unlimited in its greatness in terms of kindness connection power wisdom self-mastery all of those things are nuanced inside of me in the way that that personality composition is created. And the goal in life is to remove the obstructions that inhibit that expression. So what would be an example of that? Well, so an example, just to make it kind of more practical. An example would be as follows. I really, me personally, real story, I love people. I'm extremely gregarious. I love making friends. I love connecting to people. But I'm also a person that occasionally gets into a bad mood and I, have no, I want nothing to do with anyone. I just rather everyone just go away. Go away! Not now. So, so how do I deal with that? Well, if I recognize that there's a part of me, a deep part of me, that seeks connection and that wants to connect, help, care for, give to, and there's a part of me that wants to break that down, call that part, anger, whatever it is. So now I can start to broker. I can start to, again, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to present this almost as if it can be done easily and I can't. But let's say, as if it could become 
is done easy, that part, which is the angry part, is now creating resistance to connection. So the way I discover the power of my connection is if I can somehow move that angry part away so that the caring part can shine through, then I become manifest even under trying circumstances. So let's say, for example, one of the things which will cause me to disconnect from people is when I feel um, preoccupied with a lot of things I have to do, or I'm going through my own personal stuff. So I'm going through my own personal stuff. I'm, I'm upset or I'm sad or something's going on in my life. So then I kind of, I, I, I stop seeing the people around me. So listen to this for the greatness of expression of self. There was a woman um, whose husband, she was a, she was a wife of, of a great Rosh Hashiva and her husband passed away in, in their home. And the burial society, the Hebrew Kedisha, came to collect the body. And whilst they were collecting the body, she wanted to just reassure them that she's so appreciative of the work that they do and um, thanking them for their care and concern. Which means, in the depth of her own despair, she was able to see beyond herself and recognize the actions of others. So for me, that's, whoa, that's big. That's big. You know, often when I'm not in the depths of any despair, I just can't see people around me. <laughs> Which means that there's other stuff blocking that self from, but that's, that's, that, that's what, that's what we possess. In our own nuanced fashion, of course, everyone. So that's what we have to do. That's what life's about. Life's about getting over those obstacles and boundaries which restrict the self from being expressed. The self internally is there. It's perfect and pristine. But it's blocked. And it's not about making ourselves. It's about uncovering and seeing and revealing and actualizing the self which pre-exists. It's already there. Now this is echoed beautifully in this week's, you know, I suppose the, the father, of, father of faith of the entire Western and Near Eastern world is Abraham. Abraham's impact on the world is felt so powerfully until this day. I mean, people, people, Abraham is a familiar name. People actually called that name, even though it's a name which goes back 3,000 years. But the impression is far more than just a name that's called to people until this very day. Avram, Avram was the father in faith of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Which means 1.4 billion Muslims, 2.4 billion Christians, and that tiny little fraction of 30 million Jews, and of those, I suppose, the ones who are conscious of their tradition is probably even a small amount. Interesting contrast in numbers. All hold to this man as being the progenitor of everything that they believe in, and the introduction of, I suppose, monotheism into the world. So Avraham Avinu was the, the prototype of a spiritual guide to an unfathomable degree. He was really the ultimate, ultimate, to use the language of perhaps um, the day, the ultimate guru. He still has billions of students, even though he died 3,000 years ago. That's impressive. That's pretty impressive. And when he's introduced into the text, he really has no, there's nothing, there's nothing spoken about. The first, the first dialogue that we see, he's, he, he's historically recounted his birth and, um, his initial travels in, 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 in when we read it last week, 
but very little detail, not much known about him. First time we, we call this story, get a sense of his personality, he's met. And he has, he has a, he has a prophetic revelation. And in that revelation, he's given insight. It's almost as if, or it's as if, Hashem, the creator, engages in a discussion with him, speaks to him. Hashem Hashem speaks to Avram. And what does he say? He says, Lech lecha, go, from your land, and from your birthplace, and from the house of your father, to the land that I will show you. Now in that first verse, there seems to be enormous amount um, contained. The first question is, and Hashem spoke to Avram and he said, Lech lecha, go. But there's an extra word there. An extra word, Lech lecha. It doesn't say just go. It doesn't say Lech, which means go in Hebrew. It's Lech lecha. Go to you. Go to you. What do you mean go to you? Go to you. So one of the commentators, called Sam Soifer, he explains that this is the first step in any spiritual journey. The first step in any spiritual journey is the basic recognition that the journey you're taking is not a journey external to self, but internal to self. And the point that you're trying to arrive at is go to you. That if your spiritual expression creates dissonance with your deeper self, something has gone badly wrong. Spiritual journeying should be the ultimate way towards the deepest, deepest self-expression. It should not be an inhibiting, limiting. It should be a revealing and empowering, expressive journey. And something which I've mentioned to you many times before, that my aspirations as a young child, teenager and young adult, are all I ever wanted to be was an artist. That was, looked at, that was my go-to place of expression, to paint, to draw, to sculpt. And yet today, I, very, I do, but very, very quantitatively why very little of my life is spent painting, drawing, and sculpting. But what I discovered in my own world and in my own life is that my desire for creativity was being expressed in the visual arts, arts but now my desire for creativity has found a much deeper and more profound expression in the world of teaching, understanding, in the world of communicating. Instead of me just taking a landscape and putting it onto canvas and allowing that to be an expression of creativity, I can take what I believe to be the deepest parts of myself and share them with others. So for me, that's a way more powerful expression of my creativity. And I feel that that process has been one of revealing self. And not that, oh my gosh, I've been cut off from being an artist. No, I've been empowered to be an incredibly more profound artist than I could have ever imagined had I been limited to the visual arts. And I think that's true of of everything within our side of ourselves, that the things that we express, if we go a little bit deeper into them, and not look at the particularities of our strengths, but as the generalities, so we become more empowered to see how we can express ourselves. So, for example, there are certain people who excel at skateboarding. They have a longboard, and they can careen down a steep hill at a 
neck-breaking speed. And at the last moment, in order to break, and I've seen this with my own two eyes, they plunge forward with wooden blocks on their, head, on their hands, and they stop themselves by keeping their feet on the board and their hands on these blocks, which then scrape against the surface of the asphalt and grind them to a halt. So now if you look at that, you say, oh, well, I'm skateboarding, and now, like, so now I'm taking my spiritual journey, so how to incorporate skateboarding into it? Well, so, well, of course you could always skateboard, but what if you went deeper? And you thought to yourself, well, what is that? And you try, try to conceptualize. Well, what am I doing when I'm skateboarding? Well, there's enormous amounts of coordination, balance, the deep desire to experience the thrill of speed, and the timing that at the last moment you're able to bring to a halt what, what otherwise would be a very, very kind of dangerous experiment. So it shows coordination, it shows balance, it shows extremely good perception of timing. So how can I use that in my spiritual world? So I have to kind of extrapolate the principle. So let's talk about speed. What is speed about? Speed is essentially experiencing the world with a rapid pace of change. So if I like speed, it means that when things are drawn out in terms of their rate of change, I start to feel a sense of stagnation. I need a rapid shifting in my environment in order for me to remain engaged. Things have to be on the change, on the change, on the change the whole time. So now, how can I incorporate that into my spiritual journey? And then, like, what's the, what's the breaking about? Well, the breaking is about that, even though that's such an important component of having this rapidly changing experience, but sometimes it becomes overwhelming and I'll crash. So I need to be able to time perfectly when I need to actually grind to a halt and stop the board from moving. And being able to broker between those two different movements of self, of this power to be rapidly changing and then breaking, rapidly changing and breaking, could be an incredible skill that a person who's a um, talented skateboardist may have. Now, I'm not saying that there are talented skateboards in the room, but there may just be. And if you are feeling that, and you're a person that relates to speed, think about what speed means, and think about, can you experience speed, and I don't mean speed, <coughs> Can you experience speed in a way that's um, not by driving faster or running faster or cycling faster or skateboarding faster? Maybe there's an idea of, well, I remember that was like, those, those experiences happened one on top of another and whoa, the thrill of this and this and this and this, whoa, but now I have to boom, grind to halt and then maybe just process what, what happened. Someone's... Someone said to me, well, you know, what, what happens if you know you really love playing soccer? Well, how does that express itself? What's the spiritual component of, of soccer? Well, first of all, you could play soccer. On the other hand, it depends on how every soccer player is going to be different. But soccer is about strategy. It's about goal orientation, quite literally. How do I cooperate with all these team members to be able to achieve a very specific goal? It's about being constantly aware of moving components in a given structure because I'm constantly taking consideration where all the where where the opponents are where my team is and every person in my team and every person in my team in relation to his 
opponent, and I'm taking it's an enormously complex process of strategy, of tactics, of perception, of of focus, and there's a sense of coordination and also playing my role as an individual, yet yet being part of a team. So whenever all these factors combine, well, how can they work? Well, okay, well, let me, let me think about my present context. You know, like now your context. In other words, football is all about how, it's all about group dynamics. It's all about teams. It's all about goal orientation. It's all about sometimes I have to sacrifice myself for the team. Sometimes I'd like to be there scoring the goal, but you know what? I don't have the right speed to outrun this opponent. So I'm going to pass it to the wing. He's way better at that. And recognizing where I have to hold back and recognizing when I can move forward. So something which is as mundane and perhaps trivial as a ball game actually becomes a crucial component to reveal my strengths and weaknesses, my powers that I can actually bring into the world. And every single thing I do in life is, is pretty much the same. It tells me about myself. So when I look at myself in that way, I start to build up sufficient evidence to know the hidden part of who I am. And then I can start to think about ways of introducing that person into the world where I am. Let's go back to the verse. You want to begin a spiritual journey, don't go outside of yourself, begin with yourself. Go to you. Now, look at the continuation of the verse. From your land. Over here, the notion of land is always an analogy to physicality. Sometimes the material achievement, what we practically do without thought, can cloud our judgment as to who we are. We become enthralled by the approval and approbation that we get from doing stuff. But it doesn't really help me knowing myself. So sometimes I have to move away from the material that may be holding me back from the recognition of who I am in order to see who I am. So, leich l'cha, go to you. Going to you may mean that you have to go may arts l'cha. You have to go away from the physicality and the material that could be clouding your vision as to you are. The next thing, umi The next thing is from the place that you were born in. Very often, a person behaves in a particular way because they're reading a script that was given to them by their society. Had they lived a hundred years Earlier, or 100 years later, the script would be very different. Had they lived in a different geographical place, the script would be different. Our scripts are very different. If you grow up in the Middle East, this is a script. When you get to a place where there's people waiting, you gently use your elbows to get to the front of the line. That's a script. And that's the way you, you know, that's, that's what they say to you. How do you respond to waiting? You edge yourself to the front of the line. Now, when you've got 50 people doing that, it becomes intimate. Lines generally get wider, not longer. If you're brought up in, that's in the Middle East, in Scandinavia, then you know when you want to get something, you stand a good meter behind the person in front of you. And you have these long snake-like lines evolving when there's, that's a script. That's a script. If you're born in um, America, I think the, the personal space is an arm's length. So it's much closer, but still pretty far. If your script is English, if your script is English, then you keep a stiff upper lip and you may not express your emotions on your sleeve. If your script is American, you're okay, you can do that. 
you can share intimate details of your life with people you don't know. That's okay. It's different scripts. If you're English, that would be a cardinal sin. If you're American, that would be the thing to do. And again, there's nuances, and I don't want to oversimplify. I'm just pointing out that we've got cultural scripts. We've got cultural scripts. So when you want to discover yourself, maybe the script that you've been given isn't the one that you need to read. Maybe it's squashing, squandering some part of yourself that needs expression, but the cultural script doesn't allow for it. So when you go to yourself, go away from the illusion of materialism, and from the seduction of the society that surrounds you, and sometimes it's your family and from your father's home. Sometimes it's the family dynamic that gets you to lose your sense of being and clouds your vision of who you really are underneath all that surface. You have to go away from that as well. Go away from your father's house. Now this is, this is tough. This is really tough because we are hardwired into our family dynamics and we respond because of the way that we were raised and reared as children. To have the power of insight to step out of the way that my family system worked. And to recognize it may feel comfortable, it may feel familiar, it even may feel absolutely right. But all it is, is me and my family. And maybe by subscribing to my family dynamic, I'm defeating my own self. And therefore I have to review it and have to question it and have to think, well, is this really who I am? And therefore the process of self-discovery, which is the first step in spiritual growth, requires a journey to self. And the journey to self requires letting go, questioning, being open to seeing otherwise, and not being conditioned by the way that I achieve things in the material world, by the way that society has prescribed for me to be, by by the way that my family has pigeonholed me in the way that I am. None of those are intrinsic. The intrinsic part of ourselves is the depth of our own spirituality. Take all of those, the lech lecha, and go to you. To a place that I will show you. Now this is really, again, this is, to the place that I will show you. Why, why doesn't the, we know, Iman, why doesn't, why doesn't, why doesn't, if Hashem is speaking to Avram, why, why don't you just tell him where he's going? You should tell him where he's going. So I don't know, the, the, this is, this is what, what Rashi says is, because, there's, there's more reward if you just go and you're not told where you're going. What do you, but why? Because you see, this is the thing. When the destination is clear, you kind of, well, you already know where you're going, so you just go up and go. But when the destination is unclear, you have to just deal with the process. It can't be result-orientated because you have no idea what you're trying to get to. It's all process-orientated. So the next step in that spiritual development is it's going inside, inside, and you're kind of questioning all these things which have established your identity, and you're open to saying, well, I'm not going to allow them as intrinsic scaffolding. I'm willing to perhaps let go of them and see who remains. But then I have to be very open to what the, what, what the way, way is, where the way is going to lead me. I don't know where it's going to lead me. I don't know. There's an unknown. To the land I will show you, but I'm not sure where that is. I'm not going to tell you where that is. There was once a person I knew, I still know him, and he's still a person, 
um, he, he went through a spiritual epiphany. And he decided, he lived in L.A., doesn't live in L.A. anymore. He lived in L.A. and he decided that he wanted to discover himself. So he tried to strip himself of everything that had been a fixture of his identity. So he had some savings. So he moved into a small, small, tiny apartment in not, not the best area of L.A. And he just would ask himself every day, what do I want to do? Who am I? And he was, an, he was a really talented pianist. And he felt that playing the piano was a very much an expression of who he was. And then he asked himself, do I need to play the piano? And he felt no need to play the piano. And slowly but surely, he actually stripped his identity. And the way he explained it to me was, he says, he almost felt as if he had this whole identity and it was like a balloon, a helium balloon attached to a string that he was holding onto. And he says when he made this, when he, when he gave himself the permission to discover himself, it was almost as if the sire, he described it to me, it was almost as if he felt he'd let go of that balloon and then he could just be himself. He didn't need to hang on to it anymore. Now that's not everyone's journey. Uh, that, that, that hasn't been my journey. My journey has been so letting go of a helium balloon which sounds like, oh my gosh, that sounds beautiful, <laughs> so smooth and so easy. And for me, it's like I'm like I'm hacking away at this piece of marble, <laughs> and there are always like these chunks which keep them jutting out. Like this is as I've got a perfect piece, and like I'm getting the shape right. Then I knock the I knock the I knock the chisel with a hammer, and then boom, this big chunk. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to do that, and then try to work with it. So everyone's everyone's experience is different, of course, but I think that's that's profound profound insight into what the nature of the spiritual journey is, and that, that's why the idea is that when you meet you when you meet the tree, you're, you're really meeting yourself. And it allows you a almost an orientation of who I am by demanding and and coaxing us into seeing what we possess, and then that allows us to introspect. But we have to go inside, and therefore these things which can inhibit spiritual growth are growth are things like conforming, just because everyone else is doing it. I'm going to do it. It can actually lose you. You can lose yourself. Uh, Pressure, internal pressure, that the guilt that I'm just going to do it because I have to do it, can cause you to lose lose yourself, and there has to be a really brutal self confrontation and a deep, deep discovery. We have to go inside and be able to look at yourself and see yourself with all the good and all the bad, and just get a sense of how the me that is I is working. And that's, I think, something that's a very profound lesson for us to to consider. In this, uh, in this stage of the game. Stop recording. <laughs>